let's turn our attention to Mark's Gospel. We are going to be finishing chapter 14 today. Our passage is chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. If you're using the Blue Bible, it's on page 944. In your worship guide, if you would, write down next week's passage. It is chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Uh, Next week is chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Mark 15, 1 through 15. Yep. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 15 for next week. So, before we read today's passage, I want us to just have a very quick recap of what Pastor Ray brought to us last week. Last week we saw the first of Jesus' trials. He, had, he experienced trials in several different settings with several different um, groups or people of authority. And last week he was called and he was taken after he was arrested into the home of the high priest. And the high priest was the leading spiritual authority for the Jewish people. Okay? It didn't get no more important in church than, than the high priest. Okay? He, was, he was the, the head over all the nation of the, of the spiritual affairs of the people. Now he had the other priests and the religion, Pharisee group of Pharisees and the scribes, a lot of the religious leaders we've already heard, they were known as the Sanhedrin. But Jesus was being falsely accused of many things. And the Bible said last week that their, the testimony of the different witnesses contradicted one another. And their story wasn't lining up, but they were trying to find some reason that they could put him to death. And there came a point where the high priest says, Tell me, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And then Jesus went on to say, one day you're going to see me coming back on the clouds in glory. And when he said that, the high priest yelled, blasphemy. And so they found a charge that they could bring against him that would hopefully be justification for them to execute him. And the passage last week ended with Jesus beginning to be punched. Like the type of punch you do to knock someone unconscious. And his suffering, the, 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 the hardest part of it is ahead in the passages over the next few weeks, but the physical suffering, the pain, the blood, began last week. And we find ourselves in this passage this week looking at what happened in the courtyard of the high priest. He's got his big house where he has a courtyard And people would gather there regularly and commonly. And what we're going to look at today is what happened there with the people that were there, and specifically Peter. So I'm going to read chapter 14, verses 66 through 72, and we will start our discussion shortly thereafter. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. 
But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father, as each of us reads your word, God, would you apply it powerfully to our lives? Father, I pray that we may step into a greater understanding of our fickleness and of your great love. God, I pray that we may be able to place ourselves there in the courtyard with Peter and the servant girl and the bystanders. God, would you take us in to this great moment of history where Jesus lays down his life for the world. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Read the passage to yourself a few times. Your discussion leader will start the discussion when the time is right. Last week, we saw Jesus standing before the supreme religious authority. Okay, someone who had great power, great influence, someone who was very important for all the people. And Peter, this week, stands before a little girl. Jesus was being charged with something he did not do. And he was being charged with blasphemy. He didn't do it. They asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of or the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus answered truthfully, and he gave an answer that would cause him to have to pay a price. This week, the little girl says, You knew him, you're with him. And instead of him telling the truth like Jesus did and giving an answer that would cost him greatly, he denies it. This little girl became God to him. This little girl caused him to do something that just earlier that night he said he would never, ever, ever do. We see Jesus telling the truth, and we see Peter telling a lie. I stand before you today as Peter. I am Peter. And you are Peter. How do you feel when I say that to you? How do you feel when I say you are Peter? Does it make you angry? Does it make you sad? Make us aware. Does it make you aware? Makes you mad at yourself? I grew up going to Sunday school at Ewer Christian and I'd read stories like this and we had some other stories in the Old Testament I remember going through and thinking, 
They're so stupid. Like, haven't they learned by now? And at some point in my 20s, after I had been a Christian for at least 10 to 15 years, I finally realized that I'm just like every one of those people. We are Peter. We have done this. What I want to do today is recap some of Peter's relationship with Jesus with you. And I want to ask the question, how do you get to the point where you do what Peter did? Because we've been there, and we'll be there again, probably. Most likely, at some point between now and the time we die, every one of us in this room will do what Peter did. We might not do it to the same degree that he did, but we will do it, even if it's to a lesser degree. So I want to ask the question, how do we get to this point? And then I want to ask the question, what do we do afterward? How do we handle the regret and the shame and the guilt? I know that there's a temptation. If you think that you've been brought up in the faith, and I'm speaking to children in this room especially. If your parents have taught you about Jesus, if you've grown up in church and you think you know the Bible stories, there will be a temptation for you to think, I'm never going to go off and do those things because I know God and I know the Bible. I'll never do what Peter did because I was raised up in church and my parents followed Jesus and you know I'm so-and-so's kid, so I'm going to be fine. But I want to warn you against that idea. Peter had lived every day of his life with Jesus for three years. Peter had done great miracles. Out of the twelve disciples, there was a group of three that were extra close to Jesus, and Peter was one of those three. So Peter, James, and John knew Jesus better than anyone else on the planet. Peter did this. Even with great familiarity of the gospel and of the word of God. Even with great awareness of what is true and what is not. Even if you get to go to seminary one day. Even if you get to do mission trips one day. This can still be you. Don't look at your resume. Don't look at your qualifications. Don't look at what's been given to you and say, I'll never do something like this. You think too highly of yourself. If that's where you're at. So Peter... Peter can do this, then I can, and indeed, I have. So how do we get to this point? How do we deny Christ? Think about what we've learned about Peter over the last year as we've been through Mark's Gospel. Chapter 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to suffer, Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, no, you're not. In Mark chapter 8, Mark writes that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus stopped him right there mid-sentence. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of man. So Peter was so confident in what he knew was best that he said, Jesus, you're wrong. Your plan, this idea that you have, is not right. Three, two or three weeks ago, we read the story of the Last Supper. 
And after the Last Supper, Jesus told them, uh, Judas had, had already gone out, I think, and, and uh, Jesus had told Judas, you're going to betray me. And Jesus tells the rest of them that they will all fall away. And Peter says to Jesus, though all of them fall away, I will not. So, how do you think Peter feels about himself? Really good. Really good. And how do you think he feels about everybody else? Mm, he's got it together. Yeah, he's superior. He feels superior over these people. Yeah. So he didn't say, we're not going to fall away. He said, I'm not, even if everybody else does. So we see arrogance. I mean, this was just, this thing with the Last Supper was, I don't know, two, three, four, five hours before there at the high priest's courtyard. So we see this overconfidence. And, and Jesus responded to Peter's boasting. Uh, Jesus promises that later that night that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crows twice. And Peter, when Jesus said that, what did Peter do? He disagreed with Jesus again. And he says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's chapter 14, verse 29. So Peter says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So you kind of know where Peter's at. We saw last week, Peter, I think it was, yeah, two weeks ago, uh, Peter cut off the guard's ear. So we know Peter's ready to fight. You going to mess with my Jesus? We're going to fight. Right? And that's good. Okay? They, they, there's some very admirable things about Peter. This passage today is not all about how bad Peter is. The truth is, Peter's very well-meaning and Peter's doing a lot of things right. Even though he does a big thing wrong. Have you ever been like that? You've had a lot of things in your life going well and <laughs> one big giant thing. Okay? So I know what that's like. That's my story too. I think a lot of us are there often. So Peter followed Jesus after he was arrested. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, it seems that there might have been one other disciple there with him. But where's everybody else? So Peter's sticking close to Jesus. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So we see love. We see loyalty that Peter has for Jesus. But his confidence is misplaced. For Peter, what's most important is not all the promises that Jesus had made that I'm going to die and rise again for your salvation. Okay, Peter doesn't have his hope in that. Peter's confidence is in himself and how good he's going to do for Jesus. Confidence is not necessarily bad. I think it's easy to think that well, if someone's confident, then they're arrogant or they're cocky. But that's not necessarily true. When our confidence is in Christ, it usually produces a humility that is actually quite admirable. So you can be confident and be a jerk, or you can be confident and be amazing and wonderful and humble. So just because someone's confident, it's not a bad thing. But if your confidence is misplaced, then things are not good. And you cannot glorify God when your confidence is in yourself, in your resume, in the color of your skin, in your economic situation, in your degree in your profession, in your accomplishments. 
our confidence must not be in those things that we have done or those things that were given to us. So the first way we get to this point of denying Christ is when we are overly confident in ourselves. I also think about what it means to fear people. And the Bible talks about the fear of God. The Bible also talks about the fear of man. Over the last year or so, I've slowly read a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. I think that's a great title for a book. When People Are Big and God is Small. This little girl was big, wasn't she? She's big. Jesus seems small. Peter was more worried about the little girl and then the bystanders. He was more worried about them and what they would think of him than he was about Jesus, who he will one day stand before as judge of his eternal destiny. So Peter's got some things backwards here. We get things backwards here. We could call it peer pressure, and no doubt when you're in middle school and high school, that's something you deal with, and you're aware of it, you know it. But the problem with us adults is that we think we don't do that. We think peer pressure is just someone being pressured to smoke a cigarette that they shouldn't smoke or to do some drugs or drink a drink that they shouldn't drink. Peer pressure goes way beyond that. And peer pressure is something that every one of us adults deals with to some degree. The word peer pressure is not in the Bible, but the ideas of fearing God and fearing man are. We need to expand our definition of peer pressure. And we need to understand that when we fear man more than we fear God, that we are just as guilty as we were when we wanted to fit in with our buddies or our girlfriends in high school. This is peer pressure, and Peter handles it about as poorly as anyone can. Let me ask you, have you ever been a part of a group of people and you were hoping that they wouldn't find out that you went to church? Have you ever been a part of a group of people... And you wanted to go in so you could kind of be around them and be accepted by them, but you didn't want to do what they were doing because you knew it was wrong. Okay. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. I mean, I can even think of holiday gatherings where that happens. You want to be a part of a group of people, group of people you want to hear what they say, but you don't want to participate. This is everyday life for some of us, depending on where you work. I don't want them to know I'm a Christian because then they'll have a higher standard of me or then I'll have to stop doing such and such that I like to do when I'm around them. This is real. This is your daily life. It's not just when someone comes to you and says, do you love Jesus? Because nobody asks anybody that anymore. (laughs) Okay? Nobody asks that. So, two reasons. We get overconfident. We also fear people. We also have faulty expectations. People tell us, years ago, every one of us in here have heard preachers say that, that come to Jesus, He's going to make your life good. <clears throat> okay, He'll give you joy. It'll be the best life you've ever had. But it's hard and there is suffering on the road with Jesus. Okay, if you came to Jesus because things were going to get better for you and you did not count the costs, then your expectations are faulty. Following Jesus is the hardest thing that you will ever do. A fourth reason that could lead another reason why Peter denied Christ and why we could, we do not understand our own nature. We read stuff like this and we think that we would never do that. 
We don't see straight. We don't see accurately. I can think of an old man who used to teach me Sunday school and he died a few years ago. Some of you know who I'm talking about, but his vision was going. His vision was going, but he wouldn't stop driving. He didn't see accurately. And he made a left-hand turn and when he shouldn't have, and he was gone. He didn't see accurately, and he died because of it. Been thinking about that man all week long. Do you see accurately? Do you understand your own nature? Do you understand the Old Testament? When you read the Old Testament over and over again, we see God coming to a group of people, and he's trying to covenant with them. He's pouring himself out in love to them. He gives them his commands, and they say, yeah, God, we're going to do it. And then the leader of the group runs away to do some other things for a few days, and then they build golden calves, and they're unfaithful. And it's just kind of the story of the Old Testament over and over again. It's the story of the Old Covenant, yes, and the New Covenant is different, but it's the story of mankind. Do you understand your own nature? Do you understand how fickle you are? Even with the best intentions, well, I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm going to stop doing that, or I'm not going to watch this, or I'm not going to say that anymore. You feel like that right now, and and you go up front at the Promise Keepers event, and we do all these things, and then three days later, when we don't feel like doing it anymore, we... We, we just do what we want to do. And what we said doesn't mean anything else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul summarizes the entire Old Testament. He summarizes people's um, unfaithfulness and the cyclical nature of how it happens over and over and over again. And in verse 12, he's, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Everyone say it with me. Take heed. Take heed. H-E-E-D. That's not a word we use these days, but it has to do with seeing accurately. And if you don't see yourself accurately, you will fall. And the warning from Paul is to let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And whenever this word take heed, it's usually when the Greek word is translated in the New Testament... It's usually not translated take heed. It has to do with seeing accurately. And if you don't see accurately, you get in a wreck. You drive into the ditch. You pull out in front of a truck. And the consequences to follow are major. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. So if you think that you stand, I tell you, your heart, your sinful heart... Lies to you. There's a song that we sing every couple months here. Come thou fount of every blessing. And I love the third verse of it. It says, let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm not sure who wrote that song, but whoever would write, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That person understands how fickle and flaky they are. So the, the, the song goes on to say, uh, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So that, those are just a few of the reasons that we can get where Peter is. And this is something on a weekly basis that, that you have to deal with. Every single one of you. 
whether you're 6 or 80 something anywhere in between we have to deal with this to some degree let's look at verse 72 and immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to them before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times and he broke down and wept there's three words I want to look at here Remembered. Okay, Peter remembered what Jesus said to him. And then he broke down and wept. Okay, we'll say two, two ideas. He remembered, and then he broke down and he wept. Let me ask you, what happens when you remember? Because when you do mess up, there comes a point where we remember. We remember what we should have done. We remember the command of God. We remember our good intentions we remember. Well, Peter, he remembered the word of Christ, and his response was that he broke down and wept. What do you do with your shame? What do you do when you feel guilty? What do you do when you have regret about what you've done? I know what it's like to have some shame and some guilt and regret. When I got into those places early in the Christian life, I would hold on to it for a while. And sometimes I still hold on to it a little bit longer than I should. But as a Christian, as one whose sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, I recognize now that He has taken my shame and my guilt upon Himself. There is a temptation... To hold on to shame and guilt and regret. There are some who call themselves Christians, and who probably are, who've regretted something they did five years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And they're still ashamed. And we wonder, is God going to let us in because of what we did? If you were there today, I tell you, I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to believe everything we teach here every week about Jesus, but specifically that Jesus died and rose again and conquered sin and death for that really dumb thing that you've regretted the last 30 years. He owns that. So I tell you, cast yourself upon your mercy. The gospel isn't just for people who are lost. The gospel is for me. (laughs) It's for you. Believe the gospel. Whether you aren't a Christian or whether you've known Jesus for 50 years. Believe the gospel. I I learned something on Facebook recently. Y'all ever learn anything on Facebook? You can learn a lot on Facebook. But I saw it and it stopped me dead in, dead in its tracks. And I saved it to my phone. But it said this. Sally, you were posted it. It said this. If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, rest in this. You, my friend, are not that powerful. All right. God's grace is so great that if you blew up His plan, <laughs> you better take a step back and say, I didn't mess up His plan because His mercy is too big for me to do that. Okay? See, there is a little bit of good on Facebook. If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, rest in this. You, my friend, are not that powerful. 
We know the story about the prodigal son. I, I think it should be called the prodigal God. I think it should, the, the story is about the father. But Luke 15, you got the wealthy farmer. He's got the young boy. He's got the older boy. They both work on the farm. And the young boy says, give me my inheritance. And he goes away and blows it on wild living. And after he doesn't have any more money and he's, he's feeding pigs, he wants to eat the food that the pigs have. And he starts thinking about his father. And he runs to his father. And what does his father do? You're my son. See, he went to the Father, and I tell you today, if there's shame, if there's guilt, if there's regret, go to the Father through Jesus the Son. The Father is willing to receive you. So Peter has sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there's, Paul talks about two types of sorrow. And he, he, he says that there's godly sorrow that produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So I'm sorry for what I've done. I run to Jesus. I get saved. And He takes my regret, my guilt, and my shame. But there's a second kind of sorrow. This is 2 Corinthians 7.10. But He says that worldly sorrow produces death. Oh God, I can't believe this. And you run away and you hide. And you don't go where you need to go. You don't want to be seen by anybody. You want to hold it in. You don't want to confess your sin. You think you have to keep it all to yourself. But that type of sorrow leads to death because you can't own your regret and your shame and your guilt. You can't manage it. It kills you. It messes you up inside. Read Psalm 32. We, we read it together sometimes. Every, Psalm 32, I think, 1 through 5. You'll see what I'm talking about. When we hold our sin in, it makes us, our physical bodies sick, the Bible says. And I think about these two types of sorrow. And I think about Peter, and I think about Judas. Mark doesn't record this, but in Matthew chapter 27, around the same time that Peter is denying Jesus, Judas realizes that the high priest has condemned Jesus. Judas realizes that he should have never betrayed Jesus. And Judas takes the money they gave him, he gives it back to him, and he goes off in a field and he hangs himself, and he dies. This is quite the week to come across a passage where someone commits suicide. And I'll share what Eric Earhart said very well at the funeral. That just because someone commits suicide, it doesn't mean that they're not heaven. A Christian, just as Peter does in this passage, a Christian can be weak and tempted to sin. And obviously some sins are worse than others as far as how it affects our lives and the lives of those around us. But, you know, I, I mean, just speaking honestly, I've struggled all week. Why, why is this passage happening this week in light of what happened in our community? So, to, to echo what Eric said, you know, just because someone commits suicide, it doesn't mean that they're not in heaven. I believe that. I agree with him 100% on that. Now, that's not the case with Judas. The Bible is clear that Judas did not go to heaven after what he did. So Judas commits suicide. He hangs himself on a tree and dies. Peter doesn't do that. 
Judas had that worldly sorrow that leads to death. Peter has a godly sorrow that leads to to repentance and to salvation and to a life without regret. What type of sorrow do you have when you deny Christ? When you give in to temptation? Is it a sorrow that drives you deeper into yourself and away from other people and away from God? Do you think, I did such and such this week, I can't do it, there's no way I can go to church this week? Do you think, maybe I'll give extra money this week so God won't be as mad at me? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't try to pay for your sin. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. So we get to question number three. How should this passage affect our life? Let me just ask you a lot of questions. Do you ever hope that other people will not notice you or that they will not find out that you're a Christian? Do you ever hope that someone will not come to find out that you go to church? Do you ever read a portion of the Bible or a story like this and you say, man, those people are crazy. I'd never do something like that. I want to ask you, where is your confidence? Is it in yourself? Or is it in your God? When you remember, like Peter did in verse 72... Do you break down and weep like Peter? Or do you try to hold it all in and act as if nothing is wrong? When you remember what you did, do you hate and despise yourself and try to punish yourself to atone for your sin? Or do you run to Jesus, the one who has already made atonement or payment for your sin? Do you take matters into your own hands? Or do you cast yourself into the hands of Jesus? Because His hands are the only one truly strong enough to catch us. And we're all good Christians in here. Most of us have been in church for a long time. We know that Jesus came for the sick and not the righteous. But the problem with us is none of us want to acknowledge that we're sick. And we come and we... Always try to act like we have our act together and we're not allowed to have a bad day. And Jesus is saying, no matter how long you've been a Christian, come to me just like you are and I will receive you again today. This is good news. We have the temptation to present our righteous deeds to Jesus. But we need to come to Him weeping and mourning in godly sorrow and just give ourselves to Him completely. When you do sin, do you do what Peter does or do you do what Judas does? Do you run or do you weep? Do you believe the gospel or do you stay away from the church? Do you take the bread and the cup and you think, God doesn't want me here right now. This table is for needy sinners. Jesus ended it and Peter, or I'm sorry, Judas ended it and Peter did not. 
Do you know what happened to Peter after this? This is Thursday, midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Jesus dies Friday, I think around lunchtime, no, 3 o'clock. Something like that. Friday afternoon, Jesus dies. This is like 1 a.m. Friday morning. So, Peter realizes what he does and he weeps. The next day, Jesus is crucified. His hopes are dashed to pieces. The last three years following Jesus, this, is, this was all just a waste of time. It was fun, but it's gone. Well, Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the dead. And in Mark chapter 16, it's recorded that some women went to the tomb and an angel appeared to them. And the angel says to these women on Sunday morning, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. So, so this Thursday night in the courtyard, Peter denies him three times. The Gospel of John says that um, Jesus looked at Peter, and that's why Peter remembered. So that's the last interaction that we know of that Jesus had with Peter. And here the angel says, go and tell the disciples. There's 11 of them now. Go and tell the disciples. And who? Peter. Peter. I think God wants Peter to know that everything's okay. And that they're good. And if you read John chapter 21, Jesus cooks breakfast for them on the pier after they've been out fishing for all night. And Jesus reminded Peter of God's call on his life. See, well, well, before Jesus died, Jesus had made promises to Peter that were very important. And they were about how God was going to use Peter for the rest of his life. He said things to Peter like, you know, I, I will build my... I will, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There were promises he made to Peter that he didn't make to anybody else. So Jesus cooks breakfast for them. And after breakfast in John chapter 21, there are three times where Jesus says clearly to Peter, Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. I want to tell you today, every single one of you, no matter what place you are in life, and regardless of your past, that you are not powerful enough to screw up God's plan for your life. You are not powerful enough to screw up God's plan for your life. I want you to believe the gospel, and I want you to stop acting like God can't clean up what you messed up. He is able, more than able. And I want you to run to Him over and over and over again until you meet them face to face. Let's do it, church. Let's pray.